Okay, so we are on our last uh, section of Mark. Um, and this is a bit of a controversial passage, uh, but before I go on to that, uh, I'm going to just talk about uh, a little bit about what we're looking at today. Um, okay, so I think there are very few of us that love change. Uh, some of us are more used to it than others, some of us get excited by it, and some of us embrace it better, but stepping into the unknown is never something that's comfortable. So as we, as we see the world changing around us, especially with the, uh, with the virus, um, and as we certainly now are in Malaysia, as we're kind of half stepping out of lockdown, um, and nothing is being done with any certainty. Uh, we're seeing a lot of change happening, and, and there's a lot of talk about this being the new normal, or what is the new normal? And you know, to be honest with you, nobody knows. Um, for some of us, lockdown has given us more time to think. I know that some of you have been kept very busy by lockdown, but for some of us, it's been given us more time to think. For some of us, it's brought us closer to the, our loved ones and especially our families. For some of you, I know, probably a little bit too close to your families that, that you might uh, have, have found it a little bit difficult um, uh, spending so much time with your families. Um, but difficult times, it's been difficult times and difficult times help us uh, sharpen our perspective sharpen our perspective on who our good friends are, those we can rely on, those we can talk to, uh, but also those who have uh, fallen away and those who we have lost contact with, uh, those who we might have seen day to day, maybe our colleagues, um, and it's given us an idea of, of those who we want to talk to. Uh, through all of this, I'm sure that many of you have thought to yourself, what is the point of all of this? What's it all for? And that's the question we ask, especially as Christians, and we ask when change is happening. And it's a good question. What is it all for? And it helps us focus our mind on what is the most important things. And the, the, uh, as we wrap up the Gospel of Mark today, that's the question uh, being asked which is what Jesus came for, which is, as Christians, very, very relevant to us. Um, what's it all for? So reading uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 9 to 20, uh, just the end of Mark. Excuse me. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. Now, when he rose on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, for whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they had heard he, had, he was alive and had seen, uh, been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking in the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. 
Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and they will drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to, uh, to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with, with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Let me pray as we continue. Father, help us to... Uh, uh, by your spirit, understand your word and see that your word is relevant to our lives. Help us to apply it and go out and speak to others in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, some of you may have noticed that in your Bibles, this passage is in brackets, uh, and other Bibles or those Bibles might have a note about this passage. Now, this passage is controversial, partly because it, isn't, it wasn't in some of the earliest manuscripts of Mark's Gospel, but partly because experts say that it is, a, other experts say that it is a different uh, in its literary style. So they believe that Mark uh, did not write this. Regardless of whether it was in the original manuscripts or not, whether it was written by Mark or at all, we do have to ask ourselves the question, does it add or take away anything from the rest of Mark's gospel? And why was it put in here? Um, is it that God's spirit had inspired others to add it later? Um, and, you know, um, we, in our Bibles, we have that note uh, saying this wasn't in the earliest manuscripts because, um, just to, to say, yeah, we can't take this passage alone. And to be honest with you, uh, when we read the passage, any passage, we can't take it alone. Now, just before I go on um, to talk about that, there, is, uh, a, there are a couple of things here. Um, the, this passage is reflected in uh, the other Gospels. We do see uh, the, the women who went to uh, minister to Jesus' body. They went to the disciples. They weren't believed. The disciples ran to the, the tomb. Uh, we see the two uh, on the road to Emmaus, um, and they ran to see the disciples. And we also, um, we also see the Great Commission. We know that these miracles were performed by this, uh, the apostles. We see that in Acts, and we see yeah, especially uh, both Peter and Paul performing these miracles. Now, whether these are uh, meant for us or not, um, whether we are supposed to cast out demons and speak in tongues uh, as serpents, it's not clear. We get some of that in, in Paul's teaching, but I will we'll talk about that some other time. Um, 
at those appropriate times. Uh, but this is by no means saying that every single one of us should be casting out demons and speaking in tongues. Um, uh, um, yeah, and uh, healing the sick. Um, now, back to the question, uh, is anything added or taken away from Mark's gospel? Because this is an important question. Um, it is uh, a question that we are asking as we read through the Bible. Um, and, and certainly, in our, um, I know that I think uh, Eric has, with the Monday Bible studies, went through Colossians. And that idea of adding to the gospel uh, is something very prevalent within, you know, cults uh, that uh, would take Christians away from the gospel uh, to say um, uh, you need you know you it's great that you're Christian it's great that you believe in the Bible it's great that you've been baptized that's all wonderful but you also need this and we're always saying that you need to be aware and be 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 aware um, of people who who have uh, gospel plus you need to take our certain bible study if you want to be a proper christian your church doesn't have proper christians we have this secret teaching that we've had for centuries that, that jesus gave that no, no other christians have um and uh and only we can provide it and that is something to be very careful of so um Let's have a, 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 over, a little overview of uh, Mark's gospel as a whole. I think I've talked about before uh, that when I was in London, um, I, my, my best friend used to take, uh, love to go to Speaker's Corner. Now, in, in London, there is, I, th I actually saw that there is a Speaker's Corner in Singapore, but the couple of times that I've wandered past it, there's been no one there. Um, but in London, people are much more eager to speak out and use that opportunity to, uh, to kind of preach and uh, to, to say their piece. Um, so he loved to go down to Speaker's Corner and argue with the Muslims and the other religious people, people there. And I was dragged along once or twice. Um, it was quite fun. Uh, it was loud and people would shout at each other and shout their arguments at one another. Uh, and the guy who, who took my, my best friend down, he, he, he used to meet beforehand in a church nearby and then take them down. He, this guy was a very experienced speaker. He used to take his, uh, his little stepladder um, and go and start shouting at other people and, and shouting to get attention to other people and he'd get a crowd around them. <coughs> um, and... Um, uh, well, for me, it wasn't really my scene. I, I, I don't like shouting. I would like a you know, much kind of more ca a calmer uh, time to, you know, opportunity to discuss things with people. Um, and, but I, I found I, I, there, was, there was a man I met there, and I, I kind of, I wish I had a picture actually, um, but he, he had these signs up saying that he was a Christian atheist. And I thought that was very interesting. I thought that was uh, it's, it's a bit of a con contradiction, surely. So interested, uh, you know, I, I, I approached this, this man and I started talking to him. 
thankfully we weren't shouting at each other. But I found that he believed that Jesus was a great teacher, that he was a good man, uh, but not that Jesus was not divine or God. Uh, but these were principles and teachings that got Jesus said so that, that we should, Jesus' teachings were, were things that we should live our lives by. Um, and if we talk to some of our non-Christian friends, and if we talk to the Muslims or Jews or the Mormons and many other cults, you'll find that they will say the same thing. You see, they won't deny that Jesus was a historical figure. Uh, the atheists probably will, uh, the people who don't know, but mostly they won't deny that Jesus is a historical figure. There's, there's far too much evidence for that, uh, but they will deny the divinity of Christ, of Jesus. Yet, as we track all the way through our teachings of Mark, now if you go back and listen to any of the sermons of Mark that we've been given on Mark, we have shown repeatedly that Jesus was claiming to be God. So this teaching that Jesus was a good man, that he was a great teacher, that his teachings were about being morally good, um, they don't hold up. <laughs> they don't uh, make sense with the, uh, the Gospel of Mark, and they don't make sense with the, the rest of the, the Gospels or Acts or, or the, the writings of Paul to follow. So it's, it starts with Mark chapter 1 and John the Baptist's prophecy that Jesus is the Messiah, and that's straight away followed up by Jesus' miracle and Jesus testifying that these miracles show who he is. In Mark 2, we see that Jesus heals a paralytic, and he says to the paralytic, and, and this was the key for, uh, phrase, son, your sins are forgiven. He then turns to the murmuring scribes, these are the teachers of the law, and he says, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. So the truth is that neither of those uh, statements can happen without the blessing of God. In fact, it is easier to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, because we know other people have, uh, have, um, uh, have performed miracles. This is the first time in history, in the first time in the Bible, we see anyone saying, your sins are forgiven, rather than praying to God first. The truth is that only God can forgive sins. It is not the offense of sin. See, the Bible, you know, this sin is a, is, is a word that people throw around but the Bible defines sin as the offense against God, the rebellion against God. It's not evil doing. Well, it is evil doing because uh, it's defined, evil is defined as things that are not from God. But it is, uh, sin is defined as the rebellion against God. And so 
that being a rebellion against God, the only one who can forgive the sins is God. So right from chapter two, uh, Jesus is very clearly claiming that he is God. In chapter four, we see uh, Jesus calm a storm so fierce that the tough uh, fishermen who are with him are terrified. In chapter five, we see Jesus cast out a demon who calls him by name and calls him Christ. Then we see him raise Jairus's daughter from the dead. And I've said before, only five people, including uh, uh, Jesus, perform that miracle of rising, raising someone from the dead. And in most of the other cases, they pray to God first. Instead, Jesus does it himself. In chapter eight, we see Peter claiming that Jesus is the Christ and Jesus acknowledging it. In chapter nine, we see the story of the transfiguration and the appearance of Jesus with Moses and Abraham. All the way through these chapters, we see this, uh, this fore a foreshadowing, and then uh, in chapter nine, and then onwards, Jesus foretelling his death and how he is going to fulfill the prophecies. And anyone who reads all of this and still thinks that Jesus is just a good man is, has, has their own agenda. They are reading it without seeing what is there. And we know that people come to the Bible with their own agenda. But if you read the Bible with an open mind, we see that Jesus is not just coming to give good moral teachings. In fact, that is yeah, a bit of a laughable claim because most of Jesus' teaching is pointing to the fact that he is the chosen one, the prophesied one, the Christ, the, the God, and, and then his foretelling of what he is going to do. Mark has so clearly written this gospel to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the scripture, that he was the Christ, that he would die for mankind to take away their sins. It's even clearer for those who, uh, the, the men who, who uh, I took through John's gospel last, last year, uh, we see that even clearer through John's gospel. It's, it's right from the beginning. We see it in, in John's prologue, uh, in the beginning was the word and, and, uh, and all of that. But we see this very clearly in all the other Gospels. And I'm hoping with the, the men's Bible study and maybe with the other Bible studies to be studying our way through Luke. Uh, so we see, we're going to see another um, Gospel. So back to the question I asked at the beginning, what is the point of it all? All, sorry. Um, well, if you had been listening to the preaching all the way through, if you've listened to any preaching on the Gospels, and especially you know, since we're here, the Gospel of Mark, you know what the point of it all is. Jesus came to save us and recognize that we and uh, die for our sins. He came to die for our sins and save us and restore us to a relationship with God. Now, if that doesn't change us, 
if we are saved and we recognize that we are saved from our sins, then that should make a real difference in our lives. And echoing in my ears is uh, the the words of of Craig and of Mike for the last couple of weeks, asking us and provoking, uh, saying that what we read here provokes a change in us. I think that knowing Jesus died for us should provoke these reactions. So the first one is that we should long to live better lives. Now, that's nothing unusual. Someone saves your lives, you review your life, and you think, I've got to live a better life. You, you look at Jesus, and you think, I've got to live a better life. You, you realize that we are sinful, and you should be longing to live better lives. The big accusation of Christians is that they are not very nice people or they are hypocritical. If we're not living better lives, we're not living uh, more righteous lives, then then we're making a mockery of our witness to God. We're making a mockery of this, this death of Jesus. He died to save us from our sins. If we recognize our sin, then we should be longing to no longer sin because we are heaping that sin and that punishment on Jesus. And obviously we're not recognized that we have done something wrong. But that in itself doesn't make us Christian because there are plenty of non-Christians. I'm sure that some of your friends who are not Christians are lovely people. I have friends who are lovely people who are really good people and you know, uh, I'm not saying that all, all teachers are, but teachers generally have a care for their charges, uh, live good lives, yeah, because they have to, to witness to other people. Uh, they have to live their lives in front of students. And it's a little bit hypocritical, and I know it happens sometimes, but they teach children to be better, and so they, it kind of prompts them to be better as well, so they try and avoid being hypocritical. So living a good life in itself doesn't make our, us, us a Christian, but it is a reaction that we should have to being saved. The second reaction is that we should be incredible, incredibly grateful to God and long to be in a relationship with him. That's why Jesus came, so that we can be restored to a relationship with God. We can now, we now have access to God. We can pray to God. And isn't that a wonderful thing, that we have access and prayer to the creator? And again, this, uh, this gratefulness should be uh, seen in our lives. The way that we take joy in our lives, the way that we live different lives, the way that we live for God. And that comes to the third reaction. We should seek to please God and know what he wants. So again, living to please God means that our lives should look different. Our lives should be looking to serve God. And knowing what he wants is, is really searching the scriptures in knowing what the scriptures say, in meditating on the Bible, and figuring out what it is that pleases God and what God loves and what 
God has for our lives. And that comes to the last and most important uh, thing from this passage. We should love the lost. The Great Commission is saying that we should go out and tell others. You see, if we love others as God loved us, remember that God loved us when we were still sinners, when we were horrible people. I remember the time when I wasn't a Christian and I was incredibly selfish and horrible and lived very much for myself. And God saved me from that. And yes, we come across horrible people. And if we want to mirror God's love, then we need to love them as well. If we love others, then we should long, this, long to share this good news of salvation with them. And even if we don't love others, and love is not an easy thing, For example, uh, missionaries are traveling to places uh, where they know very little about the people in the culture. They are seeking to share this good news because that is the purpose of Christ. So even if we don't love others, we should be longing to share this good news. Now, I could draw parallels with the Great Commission that was laid out in in Matthew 28. But for me, so even if you ignore Mark verses 9 to to 20, even if you ignore this passage, for me it makes logical sense that uh, this is the reaction that we should have. Let's read down into verse 15. Verse 15 says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Yes, this was primarily said to the disciples, who later became the apostles. But if we read Acts and Paul's writing, we see that this is reflected onto us, us. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to whole creation. Again, for me, it makes logical sense that evangelism telling uh, others about God's great work and his great love flows naturally out of who Jesus was and what he did. You see, if you've got great news, then you will share it. If, you've, uh, if, there's a, a great, or if there's a great disaster coming in, I've used the example of, for example, a meteor you're heading to hit the earth, or let's say a bomb was coming and you knew of a shelter. You're going to tell the people about it. You're going to go and knock on doors. And you might have that grumpy neighbor from next door who you don't get on with. But if that disaster is coming, you are going to go and tell them. It doesn't matter whether you don't like them or not. You are going to go and tell them. If you know disaster is happening, if your, if your group of buildings is on fire, then you are going to get everybody out, regardless of whether you like them or not. 
And if it's good news, for those of you who have had children, I, I haven't, uh, but I've had kind of godchildren and I've had, um, I, I've got nieces and nephews, um, and it's great news. And those of you who had children, I'm sure the joy is even, even greater. I hope it is. Um, but you tell people, don't you? You tell anyone who will listen. You get into a conversation. You happen to get into a conversation with the person at the, the checkout at the supermarket or the person you sit next to on the train. And you, if you get into that conversation and you've just had a baby, then what are you going to do? You are going to tell them. So you might not even know them, but it's such great news. So this great news of the salvation of Jesus and the restoration of our, our relationship with God, it should mean that much to us that we want to tell others. First, your loved ones, which is sometimes the hardest. They, sometimes they're the hardest people to tell. Uh, but then anyone else who shows the vaguest bit of interest. Let's read again verse uh, 15 and 16. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will, not, uh, will be condemned. Please note that Jesus is not saying that we should condemn those who, who do not believe. That's not our job. They will be condemned. That is future tense. By God and by their own deeds. But that's not our job to condemn them. Just like we would have been condemned if God had not saved us if God had not provided us with this way out, and if God had not reached us, and if God, God's spirit had not been working in us, we would have been condemned. So those who are currently on the path to being condemned, that should only provoke more pity and more love in us. Now, I've asked some church members to start preparing the Christianity Explored course. I hope that we can have more events like Christmas gathering. I know it seems like an age uh, yeah, away since we had the Christmas gathering, but that was so exciting having so many people come uh, who were not regulars at the church. Um, and I'd love to have more events like that. But those kind of events also need for us to follow up with those people who have heard that sermon and heard the word of God. And that could be us talking to them. So if we invited them along, they came. That is a door that's opened. They, they've said, yes, I'll come along to a Christmas service. You can just ask them, um, what did you think of the sermon? Or what do you think, you know, um, about uh yeah about what he was saying or what do you think about church or would you be interested in coming to church again um but also this is the the purpose of the christianity explored course so the christianity explored course is designed to be a series of 10 hour long meetings where someone gives a short talk explaining the christian faith 
and then follows it up with a great opportunity to discuss and ask questions. Um, so I hope that you can be praying for the church that we can do more evangelistic events, uh, but also uh, for your friends that, you know, that they can be open to when you ask them um, to, uh, to come along. Um, and maybe even uh, get them on the Christianity Explored course. And yeah, what my last church did was always advise, if you've got a friend and you're inviting them along to Christianity Explored course, then, then it's, it'll be great if you want to ask them, you know, do you want me to come with you? Uh, rather than just dumping them on somebody else. Please, yeah, try and avoid doing that. And Chris, yeah, I've been along to the Christianity Explored course a couple of times, and it's great to listen again to get the basics of, uh, of Christianity again and hear these really short talks. They're really useful for, um, for our own evangelism as well. And then to be involved in those conversations afterwards because they are your friends. They're the people who you've invited. And just because somebody else is giving the talk uh, doesn't mean that you, uh, you can't do that as well. I mean, uh, in various uh, churches and Christian things over the years, we've done lots of different, I've done lots of different evangelistic events. Um, and we can certainly talk about that uh, more at another time. I've done a dialogue supper where we've just, uh, some, uh, some friends have invited a whole room of non-Christians. Um, and uh, we've had a speaker who was given a, uh, a short talk. Um, so you've got the, the room filled mostly with people who are not Christians. And you've just got this one speaker who, who shares, his, yeah, shares the faith, shares the gospel, and then gets bombarded with questions. So it's, it's completely not, not intimidating for, for non-Christians at all. In fact, it's, it's quite frightening for, uh, for the Christian speaker. Um, and I've never done that as a speaker, but if uh, I think I, I'll put my um, put my money where my mouth is and say that I I could have a go at something like that if you, if that's something that is interested yeah interests you. But again, this these are things that uh, we need to as a church do together. Please keep praying for opportunities to talk to your friend, non-Christian friends and your loved ones, and even those who you uh, meet uh, just randomly. Um, God has a heart for the lost, and uh, he saved us when we weren't worthy, when we weren't ready, when we, um, when we knew nothing about him. And so uh, please pray for others that he can use us in that work. Let me pray to, to finish. Father, help us to know you better. Lord, we pray that your spirit is working in us, changing us, giving us uh, a love for those around us, for the church, but also for the lost. Lord, we, this is a, a terrifying idea of going and talking to others about you sometimes. Lord, we pray that you give us boldness and you give us clarity of, of things to say and you speak through us. We pray that you can use us in this work, Lord. We know that uh, we look at Johor and see a vast crowd of 
people who are lost and empty and without hope. And Lord, we pray that we can use this time to speak into that. Uh, and you can do a great work. If it is your will, you can do a great work here in Johor, through this church and through us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.